0: From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company.
1: I'm an American! Well, I'm not an animal! Well, that, that, I don't want to be muzzled! You have like, no uh, choice when you're listening to this show today but to be right. happy and positive. Well, you're going to have a
0: challenge. Was I low-key faded? Maybe. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield ESPN, Las Vegas.
1: All right, let's do it on a Wednesday. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Pressure. Pressure. Game six. We don't want a game seven. Game six tonight. Vegas Golden Knights. We got all the hoops. Looking forward to it. NBA tips off at 4 o'clock. Later on, we got Trey Young and the Knicks, so busy sports day. I may be low-key faded by the end of the show. So fired up. So fired up. All right, trending at two. Trending at two. Some of the big notes coming out of the gates on Cofield and company. We start with most of the Raiders are in town. There's a couple notable absences. We'll get into those in a little bit, but OTA underway for the Raiders. So lots to chat about, new look defense, the words of some of the new defenders and some of the holdovers. I know John Abram was very talkative today, so that's going down today. We'll have uh, Adam Hill in late in the show because he was out there, so he'll give us a report on some of the biggest stories and what he saw yesterday. Kind of interesting. We have number switches. You know, the league-approved players to change their current numbers to numbers that are a bit unconventional. So the uh, single digits, a little more open to more of the roster. So wide receiver Zay Jones of the Raiders switched from number 12 to number 7. Why 7? Well, that was his number in college. The number 12 is interesting. Hmm. Quarterbacks like to wear the number 12. Do we start the speculation now? Uh Uh-oh, camp car, team car, getting pissed off. Instagram, tweets, here we go. Aaron Rodgers seems to be available. Maybe the Packers don't realize that yet, but he wants to be available. He wants to be on the move. And If you check uh, faraway place odds, latest numbers on where Rodgers will be playing next season with that quarterback number. Packers minus one seventy, Broncos plus one forty, Raiders six to one. After that, uh, weird places like Cleveland, San Fran, New Orleans, New England, Miami. You eh, never know. But Raiders are the third choice. So we'll delve into the latest Aaron Rodgers news as the show unfurls. Mixed bag last night for the LA team. So Lakers come out. Was it an unreal performance? No. Did they fade a bit late? Yes. Did they hold off the Suns when they needed to? Yes. And that's the most important part. And the fact that LeBron looked more focused, more aggressive, more downhill. I hate that there's this notion out there, and it seems to have played out in several series, that LeBron likes to sit back and kind of watch game one, take in the information. And if they lose, they lose. Team's one year older, at least the uh, the older guys are one year older. Everyone's one year older, but it affects the older guys a little more. So, I don't like that the Lakers may have just pissed away game one, but they got the season. Check that. They got the series even. LeBron with 23, nine assists. And AD's, LeBron's the most important guy, but AD has got to put up big performances. He can't get outplayed by DeAndre Ayton. And when they needed it down the stretch, LeBron and Anthony Davis – made some big buckets, and what I like most about AD's game is that he was aggressive. He's got to be that way every game. He's a defensive mismatch for just about anyone, big, small. He should be going to the line a ton of times, and he went to the line 21 times. That is a freaking awesome sign. AD, 18 of 21 from the line. Lakers win. They hold off the Suns. We got a tie series. How about this on the betting front? So game three goes down tomorrow, Thursday. Yesterday, the series was minus 110 both ways. We had Sam Paniotovic, our gambling insider, on Tuesdays come on and say, all right, I mean, this is value time. Unless you believe something's going to happen that never happens to LeBron, like losing a first-round series, unless you believe this is the the time it's going to happen, you got to jump on them. I don't know if you did. I did. doesn't mean they're going to win the series, but if you want to bet the series, forget about it now. Lakers, who opened inside of minus 200 before the series, are now minus 360. Minus 360. And, you know, as a as a dog technically in the seedings, the goal is to get at least one game on the road. They got that done. So now they're minus 360 in the series. Now, the other L.A. team, my lord, it happened again. And, you know, you look at the Clippers, and I don't want to hear Clippers being the Clippers, but... It's hard for people to refrain from saying it, right? I mean, the old Clippers who flopped all the times in the playoffs. Listen, no more Sterling. Lob City's gone. They ran off Doc Rivers. Hell, the old announcer, Ralph Lawler, is gone. And they keep doing the same thing that they seem to do in the playoffs, which is they're a hype team. They should be able to make a run at a championship. They're down one nothing going into last night. And defensively, like, I, I don't want to hear that Kawhi and Paul George – Scored 69 combined because defensively they were not good, not good at all. 18 of 34 for the Mavericks from deep? That's your intensity? That's, hey, we're going to play a different level of defense? 18 of 34, the Mavs go behind the arc. By the way, why did they want this matchup? You know, it was pretty clear they were kind of angling at the end of the year to stay away from the Lakers. Why do they want Dallas? Luca was a complete pain in the ass last year in the bubble. They couldn't match up. Yesterday and the day before, all we talked about was, "Well, okay, now, now they're going to take it seriously on defense." That was seriously on defense. Here's Stephen A. Smith this morning on First Take, just freaking beginning to lay into the Clippers and what he saw.
2: We all know how much love and respect I have for Ty Lue and Paul George is one of my favorite peeps and one of my favorite players. They both lying through their damn teeth. Don't lie to the American public like that and tell them you ain't worried. Hell yeah, you worried. You know why? Because you get, I'm going to say it on ESPN. You getting your ass kicked.
1: Whoa, censors. Dump button. Dump button. And I came out of last night's game. Kawhi scores 41. There's two things with Kawhi. The points alone are not enough. He's got to be a defensive stopper. He's got to slow down Luca. If he's the guy who's got to do it and rotate a little bit with Paul George, they can't allow 39, seven and seven. They can't allow Luca to freaking rain 17 foot fadeaway jumpers in Kawhi's face. That cannot happen. And he was the prize, not Paul George. He's got to be the leader. And the other thing is, can we get everyone else on the team to contribute a little bit more? This feels like last year when there wasn't any buy-in, uh, Stephen A. is ready to go on a to Kawhi, too. Come on, dude.
2: Ain't nobody questioning the greatness of Kawhi Leonard. A matter of fact, I'm asking for significant validation on both ends of the floor. Luka Doncic is the best player in this series. Period. 22 years old, second time in the playoffs, and busting their living. you know what? He gave it to you in the bubble. He put you on notice that he was there. Did you see the disrespect? That he showed to the Clippers. That um, he he cussing them out in Slovenia. Uh, so, 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 <laughs> I don't know what the hell does. These are European so, languages.
0: I mean, it's a European language. And none of I us
1: mean. know. Yeah, Molly. End the rant by jumping in there. Good job. Uh, we'll take a quick time out here. So the, the table set. Uh, more Clipper bashing during the show. Uh, this not only do the stars have to step up more on the defensive end for the Clippers, but you got to get others to contribute, which will lead us to the primer for the Vegas Golden Knights, listen, this is it. Close out the freaking series. We don't need to see a game seven, but that means that the stars on this team have to be complete in their effort tonight, and that means the stars who haven't really put anything on the board in terms of assist or goal scoring, it is go time. Do do not get involved in a freaking game seven against the Wild. Finish it tonight.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Where's the
1: Europe music? Where's the final countdown? Not exactly the ultimate pressure tonight for the Vegas Golden Knights, but there is some pressure Get it over with. This team has been a freaking bugaboo in the Minnesota wild. You don't want to play in a game seven and the storylines are set. This has been such a topsy turvy series from period to period. Like, I'm not going to come in here today and freak out about the way the golden Knights played in the last game. Cause they lost a tight one. They outshot the wild massively. Second period was ridiculous. So there isn't a whole lot to change except for scoring goals. And they got to make sure they you know stick to their good moments where they're clearing the wild from out in front of whoever is in goal. Uh, home ice advantage tonight, meh. I mean, the travels part of it, the fact that the wild get to go to their home arena, sleep at home, that's all cool. Massively loud crowd tonight, maybe if they pipe in some noise. If we're correct on this one, still 4500 cap for the crowd. So, the atmosphere shouldn't be too daunting. Knights have been here before. They've been here before. I mean, their short history, this will be their fourth game 6. Although in all the cases they were up 3-2, they've only been 1 and 2 in the previous game 6s, so they've gotten to game 7 a couple of times. And I think the interesting storyline is, is it a game or did we actually get a glimpse of a real bold change from Pete DeBoer? Everyone out covering the uh, morning skate reported that Mark andre Fleury and Leonard essentially left the ice at the same time, you know, last one to leave the ice. Who's going to be in goal? Who's going to be in goal? Would it be crazy? And I floated this a couple times to Adam Hill and on our podcast. Would it be crazy to go back to what worked, at least in this situation, what worked all year long, and that was the goalie rotation? Not that Flurry did anything wrong. I don't think his first period was great in the loss in the last game, but I mean, is it out of the realm of possibilities that Hey, these guys rotated all year long. That gave Flurry outside of the time that Leonard was down, injured. That gave Flurry plenty of rest. Could you look at game six, go, hey, we got a game seven for sure. Let's get Math a little rest. I mean, that's why Pete DeBoer is here. You have to make the tough decisions. So I won't be mad if Leonard's out there. I'm not saying he should be, but if the logic is, hey, The rest, the competition between the two spurred on both of them, made them both play great. Best defense in the league, least amount of goals allowed around the NHL. So we'll see. We'll see how it rolls out. It's always a big secret, though. It's always a big secret. And the storyline that we followed all year long, you've dedicated $12 million in salary to two goaltenders. Goaltenders and I know Adam Hill's been pressing for this story to kind of unfold at the end here, that was all good during the regular season, is that 5 or $6 million on the extra goaltender going to cost them in the playoffs. To this point, it is not. But we do see a team that goes into scoring droughts, unexplainable. Well, you can explain it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a team that was top five in goals, scoring all year long, that's the narrative we're going to follow. If they don't win the cup and it's because of scoring droughts, could that extra money have gone to a couple of guys who – not just scorers because, frankly, on, on defense, there have been some issues too in terms of getting guys active. So that's one of the big storylines we'll follow tonight too is the coaching staff, the team, has got to find a way to get Shay Theodore much more involved. He's been held without a point in five games – I mean, hell, this month he's got, what, one point? He's got no assist since April 28th. So they got to get him going. But the stage is set. I'm excited to see whether it's Fleury or Leonard in net. The same kind of defense we've seen most of the series, but some, some dudes step up like they did in previous games and actually put the puck in the net. Clearly, simply... You know, you got to outscore the opponent. They got to score some freaking goals. And if you're going to fire 39 shots, uh, some on net, but, you know, in general, 39 shots, you got to come away with more than just two goals. So, game's coming up at 6 o'clock. It's over on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas at 1340 and 98.9 FM. We'll have Brian Blessing in, hockey expert, gambling expert, a little later on the show to get you ready with all the storylines in the game. Uh, Adam Hill will be in the 5 o'clock hour right before the game as well. But up next, we keep bouncing around the country. We're talking to uh, media members who are in cities where their football team, their NFL team, is coming to Vegas to take on the Raiders. Chiefs are a familiar opponent. Chiefs fans will travel. How many of them will travel? Prices are going to be high here. We'll check in with Soren Petro from WHB in Kansas City to talk about the Chiefs, their offseason, and how fired up that fan base is to try to invade the Owl.
0: The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. 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 Wednesday on Cofield and Company
1: as we continue to bounce around the country and talk to media members who cover the opponents coming into town to take on your Las Vegas Raiders. Chiefs are up, Sorrent Petro works for WHB in Kansas City. We start out with Patrick Mahomes on the road last night, actually taking in the Clippers-Mavs game at the end of the Mavericks' victory. Luca comes across the court, gives Pat Mahomes a big hug, and then we wake up this morning, and Patrick Mahomes was out at
2: KC Chiefs camp. What's going on here, Petro? You know Dallas is where he's from, and he's got a home in Dallas. He's got a nice home here in Kansas City uh, as well. It might stun you Uh shoe closet and all uh, for all his sneakers. <laughs> is that right? Uh, and and he's and he's yeah he's he also one of the uh, part of his fourteen million dollars in endorsements as part of being the twentieth highest paid athlete in the world last year. Let me quote me make sure that's right. Yes, thirty two and a half million in salary, fourteen million. In endorsements, of course, that $32.5 million in salary includes signing bonus. Uh, so that's not his cap number. But in that $14 million in endorsements, he does a, a Net Jets, a competitor to Net Jets, who I'm sure provides him all the hours he needs. So I, I think they probably, their ride home uh, from their seats in LA to their house in Kansas City was probably less than some uh, Clipper fans. Had yes, in la to
1: get home on the roads of course you stole my thunder there because i was gonna ask if he flew commercial you know got in all groggy this morning at 6 30 in kansas city and
2: yeah right over red field. eye
1: sure yeah.
2: being, so, being stuck stuck sitting around the you know the the what is it the perpetually i'm sure you've been through la in the last five years where the perpetually renovating uh, lax airport uh with its its one flea bit uh, restaurant for you to uh, to pass the time there at LAX. Mwah, mwah. My love to the uh, folks. Yeah. Chef's kiss uh, to the LAX folks.
1: I try to avoid LAX. We usually fly into uh, to Burbank or John Wayne. They're lovely small airports. So in all, in all seriousness, today was a big day. It wasn't as if uh, the, you know they were testing a toe that they were worried about. But it is the first time on the field for Pat Mahomes since the toe surgery in February and uh, the toe was obviously a gigantic deal last year. It was a, that was a pretty severe injury.
2: Yeah, it, it was. Uh, do I have any concern? The fact that he was at the basketball game is somehow going to affect the toe. I don't do. I have concern. The fact that he was at a basketball game in LA last night and then on a practice field in Kansas city tonight, uh, that somehow he's not committed to his craft. I don't. I uh, won for the reasons he's got the ability to travel. Uh, you know, I, I told you the story. I one time got to fly that way and it, 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 you know, he literally left the, you know, the arena and was probably home in four hours. Right. Um, so I I don't, you know, have a big concern with it. Uh, he's a young guy. I, I'll tell you what concerns me more is every now and then on his Instagram, he'll put out and his his fiance is, uh, you know, has a fitness company and everything. So they're a big workout couple. Right. And he'll put out videos showing him like shoulder pressing with like 70-pound dumbbells. And I have more concern about him blowing out his back or tearing up his shoulders over training with weights than I do being at a basketball game and flying in uh, beforehand because I think the quarterback position, I think Tom Brady uh, has shown it. you want to play into your 40s, it's not about being able to outlift somebody, it's about being flexible and And I think Tom Brady's, you know, workout should be one that all quarterbacks adhere to. So I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be a problem early on. But anyone who's lifted heavy knows what their shoulders and back, you know, and hips and knees feel like years later. And so if you want to play late into your 30s, uh, lifting like linebackers and linemen is not the recipe. Let's talk about the Chiefs
1: schedule because I want to get to the potential road trip for Chiefs fans to Vegas here in just a second. Uh, Do the Chiefs, do the fans give a rat's patootie about when they play the Raiders? Because after all, last year was a split, and frankly, the Raiders could have stolen both games. It was a competitive series.
2: Uh, John Q, average fan, no, has two wins written next to those games. Me, yes, because it was clear that the Raiders had some kind of formula for the Chiefs, and I think, you know, really their loss and the trouble they had in beating them the second time, we can look back and say, well, where did the Bucks go to try to figure out a game plan? And I think you you go to the two Raider games. Um, You know, the Raiders were a team that, that could not rush the passer very well all year long, except for when they played the Chiefs. I think they laid a blueprint out there on how you would how you attack and that you don't have to come with lots of guys and blitz that Patrick Mahomes eats that up. And they showed that if you come with just four, which is what they largely did in that win, that even if it's not the best pass rushing team, you can still pressure Patrick Mahomes and lead people in coverage. So, and then, you know, listen, they were aggressive. They did a lot of things on offense. I don't want to take anything away from Derek Carr. They didn't win the game 13-10, right? But you know, I, I think there were uh, there was a lot to look at in what the Raiders did in their game planning, and they may have botched other games, but they had a hell of a plan in both games against the Chiefs. And and I think the trouble they they caused the Chiefs was real. And I I have them losing. Uh, I have the Chiefs losing at Las Vegas. I got the Chiefs going 12 and 5 this year and we did the schedule let's try to pick the games right and in reality picking the records easier than it is picking each game to win and lose but I think that you know based on what I saw last year I expect the Raiders to get one of them this year. Wow, 12 and 5. Under the 12 and a half
1: or pushing the 12. Andy Reid has never lost the over under bet not that he's betting but he always goes over. The, he always goes over the total as a Chiefs coach.
2: Let me let me uh, say that I do reserve the right to change that once we come through training camp and I see what all is going on. I, you know, this is just my feeling right now. But and you know, we ran the numbers on teams trying to go to a third Super Bowl, and the average record is kind of like is ten and a half and five and a half. You know, you've you've got um, or ten and five and a half actually because you've got some fourteen win teams or fourteen game uh, teams that play into that. So you know, there there's some history to that. That it it seems like oh yeah they're just going to do it again, but it's harder than it appears. And so that's the premise I started with and then tried to find the losses after that. But I, I do think it's possible. They, they did a lot to shore up the offensive line, which was clearly their biggest problem. I think they've got question marks on defense. I think those are easier answered. But I, I think you know history tells us that the Chiefs should regress a little bit this year. Uh, it, they, they would be bucking some serious odds if they don't. For Chiefs
1: fans, road trip to Vegas, top trip of the year, or... For what? or is it too expensive? Because the average ticket, you know, on the resale market now is through the freaking roof. You're looking at, you know, five to seven hundred dollars average ticket on the resale market.
2: Are we are we talking uh top uh trip via chatter right now or top trip as far as quantity of fans that will be there? Second one. Definitely yes on number one. Everyone thinks they're gonna be there for that game. <laughs> I, I don't right. think everybody's looked at the prices like like we have, I've got a buddy, our friend Archie, He's like, yeah, are we going to go? Are going to go? And I'm like, no, I, I've, like, I've been telling you for three years, <laughs> the first year I'm not going. I'm not going to pay the inflated prices. So have at it. Get a group of other guys. But, you know, the building's not going anywhere. You know, barring a, an earthquake that swallows up Vegas, the Chiefs will play there for many years. I'll get there eventually. I don't have to be there on opening night. You know, the show is the same later on, but I, I think you'll see a real, listen, the chiefs travel. Well, there is a group of fans that what they do, their vacation is a chiefs road game, right? I mean, you look at it and you say, Hey man, I don't know how that family's affording that. This is it. You know, they're not going to a beach. They're not going skiing. They're going to go see a chiefs game. And there, yeah. there are a lot of people that, you know, their, their vacation is every, every, you know, is eight Sundays now nine sometimes, Uh, a year. So I think it'll be, it'll be. And then there's of course, people that are fluent and can afford it that want to be there and say they've been there the first time. So I would venture to say that the chiefs, you play the Packers, the Raiders play the Packers. No, they play the Steelers. Yes. Uh, Then second only to the Steelers and maybe they will top the Steelers. The chiefs will be the biggest uh, fan base there. I think
1: the Broncos could match
2: them. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if they're they're, excited about this year,
1: I mean, it depends. I mean, obviously, if they have Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is there. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. But I think Broncos fans, because it's pretty close, will travel in droves. I don't know if it, You know, I I don't know if any group's going to be above five thousand fans. Uh, Packers probably will. Pack, when they play the Packers here, the Packer fans will travel. So, Saran Petro's with us. WHB in Kansas City. You joked earlier when I mentioned the offensive line, but it is a big story, and we have seen franchises in the past. Seren, not be able to solve offensive line problems for like three and four years. Like you come back for a new season, you're like, your quarterback got murdered last year. Why hasn't it been fixed? I think it's been a theme for the longest time, or was, in Seattle.
2: Kansas City seems to, in one offseason, have fixed most of their ills on the offensive line. Yeah, two full uh, about three levels to this. Number one, you know, I think the Chiefs understand what they've got, and Patrick Mahomes... They appreciate the relationship they have. He's very happy, and they're going to do nothing to damage it. I think the franchise and the owner in particular knows, after watching for 40-plus years, of what it's like to compete, sometimes with a very good team but without a franchise quarterback, and they're going to do nothing to jeopardize that relationship. I think Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson's the trials and tribulations – of those teams with their players, none of the off the field stuff with Watson. I'm just talking about how he was sideways before any of that even came out. Uh, that spoke to the Kansas city chiefs and they're going to make sure that doesn't happen. So they will always, plus they've got an offensive minded head coach. Uh, although most of his picks in Philadelphia in the first round were defensive players. Like there was somewhat of a, an I can always overcome it with lesser guys on my side of the ball mentality there. But I think they get it now that it's an offensive game and they will invest in offensive linemen and weapons um, you know, they're out of money to go after Julio Jones. They're not going to be in that sweepstake as much as everybody wants to put him in there. But, but the line was the top priority. And so, number one, their they, they want to keep a good relationship with Patrick Mahomes led them to, number two, the obvious weakness. And I think Andy Reid is a guy that's always valued the O-line. He's always, he certainly valued the tackles. There's never been a lack of spending for tackles with Andy Reid. He went out, and some of the first things he did was make sure that he always had rock-solid tackles in Philadelphia. He got to Kansas City. He went out and immediately drafted Eric Fisher with the 1-1, played with Brandon Albert, who was a former first-round pick for a year before letting him go, and then uh, grabbed Mitchell Schwartz uh, when he became available in free agency and really solidified the tackle spots uh, for six or seven years in, in Kansas City. So he's always valued the tackles. And so the move to go get Orlando Brown – uh, which after you, you parcel out all the picks, is about a bottom first, early second uh, round pick. That's not unsurprising. I think they'll get him signed probably before this year. Maybe not. Maybe next year uh, they wait and go in and the franchise tag looms out there. But I think they will get him signed. It's the, the, the investment they've made in between the tackles. That I think is big. And so they go too deep everywhere. So, yes, they have gone out. They've spent a lot of money. But I will caution people. I keep saying this in Kansas City. Everyone's decided that this is just going to be the best offensive line in football. (laughs) Because Kyle Long, four years ago, went to three consecutive Pro Bowls. Never mind of a possible, you know, what, uh, 64 games. He's played about 20-something over the last four years, including not at all last year. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is back after not playing for a season and working to battle COVID. Uh, Lucas Niang is a third-round pick, not a first-round pick, although I had some people tell me he's got first-round – they had a first-round grade if he didn't have the hip problem coming out of TCU. But he, too, didn't play and By the way, did not look svelte by any stretch uh, at at the first sign at minicamp. You know, those three guys are the top – two of those three are the top candidates to play right tackle and right guard for this team. So, yes, I think left tackle, Orlando Brown, left guard, Joe Tooney – They're solid. They're really good there. They're well above average. Center, Austin Blythe, but then the second round pick, Creed Humphrey. I think they expect Creed Humphrey to win that. Blythe was a starter for the Rams last year. They're set at center. One way or another, they're going to be solid or very good at center. But right guard and right tackle are bigger question marks than people get. They've got a lot of numbers, including Mike Remmers, who played and played fairly well at right tackle last year. They've got a lot of numbers to throw at it, but they don't have any surefire Yo, this guy absolutely can go. The right side is a much bigger question question mark than the left. Seren so Petro
1: getting a timeout. We're going to take a break here. A little body shaming there on Lucas Niang. We'll talk about that off the air. When we come back, I do want to talk more about Julio Jones.
0: Visit LVsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's
1: a Wednesday on Cofield and Company. Seren Petro is with us. We're talking a little bit of Chiefs, talking some NFL. Seren does radio in Kansas City on WHB. So you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that Julio Jones is of no interest because of the money to the Chiefs. So... You know, I saw a good breakdown of where Julio Jones could go, and there aren't a lot of great landing spots in terms of money, and he wants to go to a winning team. Where do you think he's going to go? The favorite on the betting board are the Patriots, believe it or not. Is that where
2: he's going to land? I think the Patriots, because we've seen this movie before, and that was with Randy Moss, although it was under completely different circumstances. They were paying pennies on the dollar and not taking on, I think they renegotiated his deal, which you can do with Julio Jones as well and extend him out, which I expect whatever team to acquire him to do, Um, let me be clear it's not that the Chiefs have no interest I think every 32 teams in the NFL including the Atlanta Falcons have a ton of interest in having the talents of Julio Jones playing for them it's just the cap ramifications that come with it and to take on that salary and the Chiefs are you know I said this the other day. First of all, I, I, I feel quite confident in the conversations I've had that the Chiefs are not in play at all, uh, that they've got one Tyron Matthew they want to renegotiate this offseason would like to try to get renegotiated. He's got a $20 million cap hit in his last year, and I think they'd like him to still be a Chief, and he's already fired a shot across their bow, a tweet. That was then deleted, talking about no, no conversations about an extension. It's all good, though. I've been here before, bro. Which to me, I took to mean like, yeah, when I walked away from Houston, right? Um, So we'll see where that goes. I think there's a will on both sides. I think they'll find a way to get that done. But then I mentioned Orlando Brown is in just a one-year deal. They did not get a contract done with him uh, as part of the trade. They made the deal. And if they don't get it done beforehand, it makes me think that, and, and I think they probably won't, that He wants to go validate and prove that he can play left tackle in this offense, right? Not a run heavy offense in this offense so that he can go ask for Trent Williams type money. Best case scenario, he plays pretty good and you're giving him 18, 19, 20, 21 million, which is still a couple million a year less than Trent Williams. So they know they've got two big tickets that they've got to pay already. Not to mention Tyree kill will go into his final year next year. Um, They've already begun backloading money on Patrick Mahomes' deal. Travis Kelsey's making big monies. Chris Jones, Frank Clark's still under contract. Um, you know, Anthony Hitchens, the starting middle linebacker, has got a $10-plus deal. There's a lot of contracts out there they've already got to pay, so you do eventually get to the end of it. And, and Chiefs fans don't get that because they've made the cap look irrelevant, but they're finally at the end of the road. For Julio Jones, they just can't make it work. And even if you if you made the deal for him and you renegotiated something and you extended that out, you know they're getting to a point where they're going to be looking, you know, Atlanta Falcons esque in a few years to where they have to unload some of their best players. And I think the Chiefs recognize that. They did the run it back tour, and now it's time to start getting your cap in order so you can start finding some of the bargains that are out there that will want to play. I mean, I mentioned. You know, Austin Blythe uh, from the Rams being on board the center who who started at center for the Rams last year. He's on a league minimum deal, you know, and everyone's like, oh, you know, it's great. They got blight. They got a starting center. And it's like, well, clearly nobody else wanted him. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, like how, what's the value of playing with Patrick Mahomes and having a chance to win a championship? I think it's it, it's a tiebreaker, but nobody was offering him one for five or he would have taken it. I don't think it's worth four million dollars. So there, there's there's an element of the Chiefs having to find some bargain guys out there because they're they're done as far as big contracts go.
1: On that Julio Jones odds board, the Raiders are pretty high up. They're third choice. The Titans are fifth choice. If you were Julio Jones and you had your choice, where would you go? Las Vegas or Tennessee?
2: That's interesting because I think the Titans are a team that went backwards this offseason. They they lost a lot of good players. You know, they signed the quarterback in Tannehill, and now they're having to cut talent, and it's now going to be on Tannehill. To carry that, I also think they're too heavily uh, you know, dependent upon a running back, which running backs' lifespans are. I think you're on borrowed time with Derek Henry right now. Uh, I think the Raiders look like a more balanced football team, but you know, at some point, the Raiders got to win to validate to everybody that they can win. So, I think Julio Jones' mindset would be the Titans have won more recently, so that's the better team. But I'm not so sure that you know the the Raiders don't have more reasons to believe that they can be an offense that can sustain a high level. I I, I like the weaponry that the Raiders have more than the weaponry the Titans have. They lost Davis who had finally, you know, broke out. They lost John Smith who I don't think, I don't think he's worth what the Patriots gave him, but it's certainly a loss uh, for the Titans. Uh, Now you add in Julio Jones, he picks up a lot of the slack there and he would clearly be the number one guy. And if he's a stat guy, then he's, he's going to suck up the majority of the targets, uh, you know, probably either place that he goes, but Waller is a real, baller not yeah. to make nice fun there. nice but, nice yeah that's that's you know that, that's a guy like if if, if i i actually think uh, then the titans don't have to contend with patrick mahomes and the chiefs so if what you want to do is win and win a championship probably an easier path with tennessee although i don't like what their off has been
1: So around petro whb last thing on the chiefs to go back to kansas city uh i saw a good story on espn.com on destinations for some of the guys who could be cut after June 1st. There's a lot of big names. It's a lot of older guys. There is a 26-year-old. That ain't old, but at running back, it's old. And when you're Todd Gurley and you're running to the ground by the Rams, that's old. The writer actually put Todd Gurley to the Chiefs. What do you think?
2: I, I think it's because the Chiefs in the last two years have gone after Le'Veon Bell, uh, LeSean, McCoy. LeSean McCoy. And so they've, they've made those veteran – running back pickup, So it's like, okay, that's what they do every year. If this guy's on the cheap end and they'll do it again, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Like, I don't think they're running back room. I was surprised that Damian Williams was let go. I, I thought that, that he would be welcome back. Uh, he was not. Uh, and he was only going to make a couple million dollars. So I think that the contract is going to have to be small. I saw the prediction that had it, you know, had to make one one five or something along those lines. But I think the Chiefs are big on health and they do like the 26 year old free agents. They signed. You know, I think part of the reason why they gave so much money to Sammy Watkins was he was 25 when they signed him. They felt like there was still ceiling there and he should be in his prime years, should be healthy. He wasn't. Um, and so I think the 26 would be of note. But 26 with a bum knee. I don't see it unless it comes at a league minimum. I, I would be I'd be shocked. I know they like Clyde Edwards-Alaire a lot. They, they, they like what Daryl Williams can do as far as his versatility, his blocking. I think there's still some hope that Darwin Thompson, a six-round pick from a couple of years ago, can play. And I think they feel like they can find running backs just about everywhere, just about anywhere uh, at any time. Spencer Ware was a waiver wire grab when he was released by the Seahawks. They put him on their practice squad. Uh, injuries happened in front of him. They brought him up, and for four weeks, he was the most valuable guy in fantasy football. I think they, they're not going to overextend on a running back in any way.
1: Saran Petro, WHP, Kansas City. You guys have a baseball team, a lot of history there. Not always winning, but a lot of history there. Big fan following in the Kansas City Royals. You lived in Vegas for a good amount of time. It's changed since the late 90s when you were here. Should we get a baseball team? Should Major League Baseball be taking a team out of the number 10 market and go, you know what, if we get a sweetheart deal in Vegas, let's put the A's in Vegas?
2: I mean, should you get a baseball team, right? Like that question, my answer is, look, if they're playing Major League Baseball in your town, where else would you rather be than at the ballpark? Or at least watching your team. Yeah, if I were in Vegas, I would want a baseball team to go there. If I'm to handpick and select the most likely place for a baseball team, the easiest place, let's put it this way, the easiest place for a baseball team to succeed, it's not Las Vegas. Uh, 81 dates is a lot of dates, right? Um, I, 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 you know, Kansas City draws not just from the Kansas City metropolitan area, which is roughly the same size as Vegas, but one of the little secrets about being out here in the flyover states is, we don't go, you know, 100 miles where there's only 100 people. There's a farm every 18 feet once you leave the town. And that actually makes up for a little more population than you would think. Like, Kansas is not a popula- populated state. Missouri is not a very populated state, although half of Kansas, uh, Kansas City and, you know, I don't know, seven-eighths of St. Louis are within the state of Missouri. It's more populated than Kansas. But there's farm towns in between and farms around that are within 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two, two and a half hours. It's three. It's two and a half hours to Des Moines. It's three. It's two hours to um, Omaha. It's two and a half hours to Wichita. There are a lot of populated areas that are a drive, certainly an overnight drive and even a day of game drive that they're drawn, and Vegas doesn't have that. And regionality is a part of the draw for the ticket base. And so I think it'd be difficult for just the metro area of Vegas to really fill the stadium. And I would worry that it might look Miami-esque. I mean, that's just a weird town, obviously, that Miami was such a strong Latin culture and and, and an inability to get anybody to go to the ballgame. I think Vegas would be better than that. But I, But I do worry, do they have the population base to draw to actually spin the turnstiles? And if they're not winning like Vegas has been spoiled the Knights coming in and being in the Stanley Cup the first year Oklahoma City's been spoiled the Thunder coming in and being a contender right away the Avalanche going to Colorado and being in the Stanley Cup right away you know those are those are you know perfect situations Vancouver had a turd of a basketball team it didn't work right they they couldn't get anyone out to see the Grizzlies and now everybody Vancouver's a team is a town that's also mentioned as a place for a baseball team you know expansion is usually not the boom that you saw, and if the A's are moving, if the team is winning and they get a chance to create that love affair right away, well, I, I I definitely think small markets have to have a love affair with the team, and the team has to have a love affair with the small market, and I think it's, it's not impossible, but it's a harder road than people might think in Las Vegas. And
1: that's part of the problem with the A's move is between Rob Manfred and just the baseball attitude, they don't get it. Like, Gary Bedman gets crushed for being an idiot. His expansion rules made it possible if Vegas did the right thing that they would be competitive from the get-go. If we're talking expansion, I don't think baseball would ever be smart enough to do the same thing the NHL did. And then the other problem is with the A's, now we've got the owner basically saying, you know what, I'm not spending money until we get money, until we're set with a stadium. So now they're going around the country pitching their wares to these different cities. Well, they should mention, you know what, it's very likely when the team comes here, they're going to
2: suck. So what do you think? You want a team? I, I, the one thing I would caution is the A's have never spent money, so that's just business as usual, and yet they've defied the odds. They've always been a team that's been about avoiding the 100-loss season. Even when they do re-rack it, they, they lose like 88 games. Uh, they, they don't crash and burn uh, the way some other teams, certainly not the way the Astros did before they built it back up. Um, you know, So, yes, I, I agree, and if you don't have a winner, are you going to go out and support losing baseball? You know, I, I think that's a real question. I think winning is what, and the winning times and the memories of the winning times are what sustain a team through the tough times. Like no right? the Royals' attendance, you can track it when they're winning and, and the aftermath of winning, the attendance is very high. They've had 2.8 million, I think, in 2016 or so, 2015. You know, coming off one World Series headed towards another, they pushed towards almost 3 million fans. Um, but, you know, attendance is now down to a million and change. When the team's not winning, what does what does fuel and, and really helped Kansas City is the TV ratings are top five for the ball club uh, compared to the other uh, uh, baseball markets. Their top five TV ratings, even when the team's losing, they still have everybody watching on television, which enabled them to put together a new television deal and, and bring the revenue in. And that's the question. They are a regional team. Those ratings extend to all those towns that I'm talking about where they show Royals wow. baseball. Can Vegas make uh, any shortfall in tickets up on the TV deal, or is Vegas going to be the only one? You and I both know, like the the extra innings package, like you get blacked out from like nine different markets. So the idea that, you know, Vegas is going to draw from where, you know, Eastern California or Northern Arizona. No, they're going to get blacked out on that because they black out everything for the for the local market so you're gonna have to go out and find television affiliates around there and you run into other teams as soon as you run into population that you're going to be battling with
1: last one for saran petra in kansas city whatever happened to the nba or nhl to kc
2: yeah so they, they built Sprint Center back in about 2006. It was state-of-the-art. It was as good a building as you could have. It's not L.A. It doesn't have three or four decks of suites. But for a Midwestern, you know, smaller market, the, the building was state-of-the-art. Still one of the better buildings. Got a good nightlife uh, area outside uh, the arena as well. So all the elements are there. Initially, uh, AEG stepped up. And in pushing through the vote to get the revenue, they said there will be an anchor tenant. If you pass this and build this building, there will be an NBA or NHL team here. They have yet to come. AEG no longer answers questions about that. And when the building first got built, while it was being built, the Pittsburgh Penguins came to town. Mario Lemieux came to town. They were showing him the hard hat on. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the rendition. Did the whole thing. And basically, it was clear that Kansas City was being used as a prop as a threat to the city of Pittsburgh to get a new building in Pittsburgh. They got that new building, the Penguins stayed. So I do think it's part of the process to getting a team is sometimes you have to play the Patsy, you have to play the Stooge, you you have to do your part to help the league out. Um, And I think the idea was, listen, we're not going to move the Penguins, but help us out, get the Penguins solidified, and then expansion or some other team that we don't think is solid, where they're at, you will get and there was an agreement with the um, uh, National Predators and a guy named Boots Del Baggio, who was a minority owner with the Predators, had been named as the guy who would own an NHL team in Kansas City. Well, there was a clause in the lease with the Predators that said if the attendance falls below a certain figure, Boots Del Baggio can exercise the option buy control controlling the team and move the team. This information gets out. We're all just waiting. We're rooting for the Predators to stink. The numbers to go down below a certain point. And then, of course, the Predators will come to Kansas City. Well, the numbers did fall below, just barely, but they fell below. It was time to act. Come to find out Boots Del Baggio was part of like a pyramid scheme. He really wasn't worth any money whatsoever. It was time for him to actually write a real check, and he couldn't do it. And so that completely fell apart. The Predators then started winning. The attendance went up. Nobody's messed with the Predators since. Boots Del Baggio, I think, went to jail. And nobody has even sniffed bringing an NBA or NHL team to Kansas City. Now, there is a group that's trying to get into the NBA mix. I think everybody knew. you know, that It feels like Seattle's a lock. And then there's a competition amongst the usual net towns. That'll sound real familiar to your baseball discussions. Louisville, Vegas. Now drop in Kansas City goes into that mix. Uh, and supposedly Casey will be in that mix, but right now I think a lot of the town feels like we're just the patsy to get uh you know get done whatever everyone in the NBA needs to get done to put the team where they really want to put it.
1: Seren, great spot. We appreciate it.
2: Always my pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me.
1: There he is, Seren Petro, WHB in Kansas City. Actually, double dip for him today. He's back with us tonight as we do our Cofield and Company late night podcast, nine o'clock petro will be on so we were just talking about expansion relocation well the ace brass continues around las vegas and henderson meeting with folks in town and this is not going over well with A's fans we'll have the latest on outraged A's fans now attacking us here in las vegas